0: following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. One of the boys and I were having a conversation in the car uh, this week talking about that the very same subject that um, we care very much about, our culture anyway, cares very much about how you feel about this or that, and, and we, as a, as a culture, seem to be bowing at the altar of our feelings, and it doesn't matter what the truth is, it matters how we feel about what we think the truth is, and um, that has such devastating effects on how we live as disciples of Christ. Uh, it matters what the Word of God says about everything. Um and if we just continue to focus on how we feel about things, we start to say things like, well, I don't really think God is like that. I don't think a loving God would really do that. We don't understand when we start to act that way that we are creating a God in our own image. And the Bible calls that idolatry. Um, and that's, uh, that is a problem, a real, real problem. Um, and so in, in defense of my humanity... Uh, well, um, I, I'm going to say my desire is to handle the word of God accurately. Uh, that is my desire. Um, however, I am fallen. I, I am frail uh, and I am fallible. And so when I share the word with you, I want to always give you the references we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37. And I don't say that just so I sound smart. It's so you can write that down, read that for yourself, and say, uh, hey, bud, <laughs> you got that wrong. Uh, I, pl- I welcome, well, I don't, uh, you should do that. It, it's, you should do that. Uh, I'm like, I can't wait till somebody blows apart my last sermon because I got it wrong. Um, My my desire is to get it right and you get the reference so that you can make sure Um, if I you can look it up for yourself. And if you think that something is sideways, you need to tell me not just so that you look smart or I look bad. But for the betterment of this family, for everyone who hears the word of God from this pulpit, um, it, it needs to be right. We can't afford to get wrong, to get it wrong. Right? There are far too many groups who call themselves the church that are getting it wrong because they don't care about what God's word says anymore. They care about how they feel, and that's a real problem. So you don't have to settle for um, Well, the Bible says. Take my word for it. Uh, I want to give you the reference, the chapter and verse, so that you can see for yourself. Um, so... And you can also read ahead, yeah, the, the, uh, the benefit of studying the Word the way that we do, um, going book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you can read ahead and say, oh, I can't wait to hear what that bonehead is going to say about this. <laughs> yeah, always a good time. So we are returning to our study of the Gospel of Luke with that in mind, so please turn with me in your Bibles. If you ha- don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew in front of you, Uh, There's also one on the screen if you want to settle for that, Um, but there are paper Bibles that you can... uh, And if you don't have a Bible at home, take the one in front of you. It's it's yours, okay? We want the Word of God in your hands. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37, and that is page 860 in the Pew Bibles. Now, you may remember from last week... Um, Jesus visited the town of Nazareth where he had been brought up, um, and he preached in their synagogue. Um, he preached a message so powerful that it nearly got him thrown off a cliff, as all good sermons should. Um, that's how you can tell I haven't really had a good one for a while. No one has threatened my life. Um, Jesus walked through the midst of the murderous, the murderous crowd and left town. And that's where we find him in our text for this morning, in the city of Capernaum, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So let's pray, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing on our study. Father, we are so grateful to be in this place around your word this morning. We are so thankful that you have preserved your word for us, that we could have the words that we need to know uh, in order to live. um, in order to have eternal life, in order to know Jesus, you have, you have preserved that word for us. And we're so grateful. May we never neglect it uh, and sacrifice the truth of your word on the altar of our feelings. So, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would speak, that it would not be my words this morning, but your words. Glorify yourself in your church through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son. Amen. So, Capernaum, a little town, small but important. Um, It was situated on the road that connected uh, most of the region of Galilee to the city of Damascus, which is in Syria. It was a center for commerce and fishing and trade, Uh, and it was also a Roman tax polling station which made it really popular among the locals. Um, The disciples Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew were all called from Capernaum. As you may know because you've read the book before, Peter and Andrew were actually from Bethsaida, but they were called uh, while living in the city of Capernaum. And Capernaum would later be known as Jesus' hometown, even though we know because we've read the word. He wasn't born there, and he wasn't raised there, but it was the center of his ministry throughout the region of Galilee. And you can go to Capernaum now, today, uh, and see a great big sign that says Capernaum, Jesus' hometown. They're not right, but it's okay. It's a really pretty place. So let's look at our text Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. May God's blessing be on his word this morning. So, a fun fact, Jesus went down to Capernaum. Now, if you're familiar with the maps, Um, we, at least, refer to north as up. Uh, Capernaum is north of Nazareth, but he went down to Capernaum from Nazareth. And the only reason it's down from Nazareth is Nazareth is closer to Jerusalem, which is the ultimate up. Uh, It's the center of the religious world and the, uh, the... Gospel writers, uh, all of those who wrote Scripture treated it that way, that it is the high point in the world, and everything else is downhill from there. So as Jesus is moving to Capernaum, he's going downhill. In elevation, Capernaum's higher. Oh, well, this is just so you understand. If you ever go to Upper Egypt, you'll find that it's in the south of Egypt, but... They're not Americans, so get over it. They're wrong. They're, they're <laughs> ben says they're wrong, so you can check his word on that. So just like last week, Jesus was teaching um, the people on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And really teaching on the Sabbath and doing things on the Sabbath is what J- got Jesus in the most trouble throughout his ministry. Uh, because people's understanding of what the Sabbath was based on, how they felt about it, not about what God's word said about it. And it got Jesus into a lot of trouble. The synagogue was a central part of the life of the Jews for centuries, but strangely is not mentioned in the Old Testament at all. The tent of meeting is uh, the tabernacle, right? The, The temple in Jerusalem, all designed by God and laid out very specifically in the Old Testament. But directions for the synagogue are nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. Interesting. And you're probably not wondering, why is that? (laughs) But I'm going to answer that question for you anyway, because that's what I do. The synagogue was invented by the Jews after they returned from the Babylonian captivity when the Jews, the nation of Israel, was taken captive to Babylon. And you can read about that in 2 Kings 24. That's the, you write that down so you can look that up. Um, Israel was taken captive to Babylon, and when they came back, um, they, uh, they didn't have a temple. The temple was destroyed, right? So they had to figure out another way to gather for worship. So the synagogue, um, it began as a group of people with no less than ten believing men, ten uh, devout Jewish men, and their, and their families also, it started as a group of people right? and later became known as the buildings that were built specifically for the gathering uh, of the synagogue. Does this sound familiar to you at all? Because uh, the church is built on the same design, right? The church is the group of people, and it became known as the building that that group of people gathered in. So when you say, I'm going down to church, you don't have to feel weird about that. Uh, you're going to synagogue. You are going to the synagogue to see the synagogue, uh, the people, right? So church is the same way. Um these are simple structures with benches for seating, very little ornamentation, and every one of them had a chest for storing the scrolls of the law and the prophets, what we now call the Old Testament. So there's a places to sit and a thing that held the word. And that was, that was it. Um, the design of the church, the design of this church, is very much based on this very practical model for community and fellowship, worship and teaching, And you can see that model throughout the New Testament. The church was designed around the synagogue model. And in the synagogue, they didn't have pastors so much, but they had scribes. Scribes were the primary teachers in the synagogues. But unlike, you know, your favorite pastor, their teaching was terrible. (laughs) See, this is where you can fallible, fallen. Remember that? Flawed. Right? The teaching of the scribes in the synagogue was lifeless and dry, pure legalism. Here is what you have to do to keep God from smiting you. That was the teaching of the scribes. Empty religious practices. This is what our religion uh, forces you to do and be and live. And the people who attended the synagogue, at least at this time that Jesus is there, We're attending out of a sense of obligation, not out of a sense of life and desire for fellowship and worship. This is to keep out of trouble, um, not to keep in touch with God's word or God's people. Unfortunately, there are still churches across the world that meet under the same sense of guilt and obligation. right? And then along comes Jesus. For many of us who grew up in the church um, or grew up being dragged to church by your folks or, or your grandparents, um, our, our picture of church can sound very familiar uh, uh, to this. this. This sounds very familiar to me uh, in my upbringing. Everything's boring and dry and lifeless, uh, and you have to dress up and got to wear a suit coat when you'd rather be in a flannel shirt. Um, You know, flannel isn't just for your Bible lessons. It's for comfort and utility. An endless tirade of legalism and empty religious practices. And you better go to church or you're going to go to hell. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? I'm the only one. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Then along comes Jesus and everything changes. So here in our text, we have this brief glimpse into a meeting of the synagogue at Capernaum where Jesus performs two miracles. The first is obvious and the the, the second is less obvious. The first and most noticeable one is the healing of a man with an unclean demon. Look at verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Now I think there's a lot to learn here in, uh, in these brief verses. So I just want to give you a quick list of of. Um, important things. First, the devil and his demons are unclean spirits. Their nature and aim is directly opposed to the purposes of God. Our culture has sought to minimize the devil and his agents, to make them into cartoons or to make them into cool things and not dangerous at all, um, or at least, not dangerous in the ways, um, or at least maybe they've made them dangerous in the way that people want them to be dangerous so that they can be cool. Um, The plain truth is the devil and his demons all want you dead. They're not to be played around with. They don't want us just physically dead. They want us spiritually dead. The devil wants us to reject Christ and die so that we'll be destroyed. That's what he wants. Okay? So the next time you're rocking out with your devil horns, (laughs) think about who you're waving at. It is not okay. The devil is not your friend. The second thing this unclean spirit as well as many others in Scripture, works in the lives of people. 234 times in Scripture, the words demon, unclean spirit, or evil spirit appear. They are very real, and they work in the souls and sometimes in the bodies of people. That's important for us to understand. They're not imaginary And they're not locked away in the Bible. They are still very real and they're still very active. And the third thing to learn, and the one that is the most troubling to me, is that these unclean spirits can and do sometimes operate on people who are among the worshipers of God. They know and believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God. They believe that Jesus is Messiah. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, Even the demons believe and shudder. And yet, they're at work among those who agree with the facts about who Jesus is, just like they do. But they do not trust him for the forgiveness of their sins and the direction for their lives. And this is an important thing for us to remember that agreeing with the facts about Jesus is not saving faith. We throw the word faith around and don't really always have a firm grasp on what it really means. We think faith means believing. True. Um, It's believing just like I believe this floor will hold me. It's believing every time I drive over the uh, Piscataquis River Bridge that it's going to hold me up, me and the 400,000 out-of-staters going across it. That's not just agreeing that the bridge exists. It's not just agreeing that this floor is real. It's trusting it to do something. When we have faith in Jesus, we are trusting in him. For the forgiveness of our sins and for the direction for our lives. So it's not just agreeing that Jesus exists. The demons agree that Jesus exists. The demons agree that Jesus is Messiah, that he is the son of God. But they don't trust him and they don't love him. So our faith needs to include trust in Jesus, love Jesus, not just agree that he is real. The final thing to learn, at least on my short list this morning, I know there's a lot more, um, my list is limited, is that Jesus has the power over the devil and his demons. And this is perhaps the most comforting fact we can come to this morning. Verse 33, again, In the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent. That's a fun Greek word, be silent. It's put a sock in it. Put a muzzle on, right? Shut it and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out having done him no harm. What's great about this is the demon had to be silent. He had to put a muzzle on. He had to leave the man. It had to leave him unharmed. Why? Because Jesus said so. And that kind of leads me to the second miracle that Jesus performs. Not just Jesus having power over the devil and, and his demons. We've seen it right here in the text. Perhaps you've seen it personally even in your own life and experience. But when Jesus cast the demon out of the man, how did he do it? Now, in our house, at least, like, the hero always uh, accomplishes their task by beating someone up. Like, <laughs> you know, they come in with their capes and their boots, right? And they, yeah, they do some ninja kicks and judy chops and, and, you know, and the bad guy's taken care of. But that's not what Jesus did. He doesn't grab the man and shake the demon out of him. He doesn't shoot laser beams from his eyes. He doesn't know any ninja moves, right? Nothing like that. He simply says the words, Simothetai, Kai exelte," be silent, come out. And the demon had to. See how powerful Greek is? Like, woke you right up. Greek is great. Jesus' power Is in his words. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. In Mark's account of this event, in Mark 1:22, he wrote, "And they were astonished astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes." Now, in my mind, again, this is just my opinion. Um, there is a book called The Book of Common Prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But it used to be like what uh, what priests were given, missionaries were given, and then sent out into the jungle. right? And, and and they'd read out of this book a common prayer or, you know, here is a prayer for this situation, a prayer for that situation, a prayer for this situation situation, and I can't help but, I'm sure it's a wonderful thing, I I admit I haven't read it, um, not in its entirety, but that seems kind of lifeless to me, I'm just going to read you a prayer, and hope you stop doing whatever it is you're doing, or having whatever problem that you're having. The people in the synagogues were used to lifeless, legalistic, empty teaching of the scribes, just reciting the words. And then along comes Jesus. When the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. What is this word? That's the second miracle. People started to listen to Jesus. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. He commands the demons... And they come out. He says the words, and they obey. Jesus' power is in his words. In his word. Now, I think if we're honest with ourselves, like the people in Nazareth we talked about last week, we still want spectacle. We still want Jesus to do the miraculous for us. But our, our definition of what that miracle looks like is very, very limited. We want Him to do for us. We want Him to provide peace and comfort and trouble free living. Be honest. We want peace, we want comfort, we want trouble free living. Jesus plants trees, God plants trees, decades in advance, waiting to catch us in our flying car. Because that's how he works. We don't want to get in car accidents. We don't want to have cancer. We don't want to have financial difficulties. We don't want to have pain, we don't want to have suffering. We don't want anything bad to happen to us or anybody that we love. But God works in the midst of that. Michelle and I were talking today, uh, this morning. Today marks a, a kind of a weird anniversary in my own life and ministry. I, um, Fifteen years ago, I announced publicly it was leaving the church that I was serving and going to serve in a different church. And of the list of things that I, oh boy, I'd really kind of like to take back, uh, that was one of those things. And it was hard. It was hard for the church that we were leaving. It was hard for our family. And then we spent five years in the crucible, just the refiner's fire. It was a very difficult time for me and for our family. but God worked through all of that through all of that difficulty and pain and challenge and you all are here indirectly as a result of that Crossroads Church wouldn't be Crossroads Church without all of that we don't want the hard stuff But God uses the hard stuff to do the best stuff. I wouldn't take any of that stuff back now. I would have then. My prayer was make it stop. Please, Lord, make it stop. How often do we pray that prayer? I would challenge us as a family to start praying, Lord, show me your glory. Glorify yourself in this. See how the things that we don't understand stretch our faith. I can't imagine signing up for college and two weeks before I move in, I don't have a place to live, (laughs) right? But what happens? We pray, we trust God, and he provides. And we can glorify him in that together. That's what our story is for. That's the power in our pain the difficulty that we face is to glorify God. What we want is spectacle. What we want is for the Lord to do for us. What we get instead is the word of the Lord. Luke would record the words of the father about the son when he was transfigured before his disciples in Luke chapter 9. God the father says, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Listen to him. The real miracle is when people do. <laughs> when the people listen to him. When we listen to him, that's the miracle. And he works. So, The challenge for you, again, as if you haven't had enough, would you commit to listening to the word of the Lord every day this coming week? Read the word. Study the word. Now, I want to be very specific with this. This week, would you commit with me to read Matthew 5 through 7 every day this week? Matthew 5 through 7. This is the writing down part. Matthew 5 through 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. If you have one of those red letter Bibles, you'll notice there aren't a lot of black words in there. They're all red. Matthew 5 through 7 is all Jesus talking. And we can't, we shouldn't lose sight of what Jesus is doing. Neither should we lose sight of what he said, and continues to say to us through his word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that there is power in your word. In the words of Jesus, in the words of scripture, we're so grateful that you have chosen to communicate to us this way, and that your word has all that we need, You have given us everything that we need to live and live in a way that is pleasing to you. That brings glory to your name. Forgive us, Lord, for when we neglect your word. Lord, I pray that you would continue to convict us to stay in your word so that because we know the truth, we can easily spot the counterfeit. We can know what your word actually says, not just assume that someone we trust is right, but we can look to the word and see for ourselves that your word is the truth. Father, we pray that if there's anyone here or within the sound of my voice who is settled for just agreeing with the facts that Jesus lived and died and rose again, that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Messiah, Settle for the plain, empty, cold facts. Pray, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, you would breathe life into their stony hearts this morning. That instead of just agreeing with the facts, that they would trust and love the person of Jesus Christ, who really did live and die and rise again, to pay the penalty for our sin. To bear them on his own shoulders on the cross. And to rise again from the dead to give us new life through faith, through trust in Jesus. May, Lord, may none of us settle for just agreeing with facts. But trust in the person of Jesus. For the forgiveness of sin and for the direction for our lives. Keep us in your word, Lord. Your word is the truth. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.